Well, how's everybody this morning? We're making our way through Ecclesiastes, and we're, we're kind of in the home stretch here. We don't have too much more to go, and we're uh, going to be in chapter 10 today. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Brent preached from chapter 9, and kind of where, where we left off last week is that uh, in this preceding passage, or at least a part of the preceding passage, just the, the verses coming into chapter 10, uh, Solomon is talking about wisdom, and he talks about, uh, shares an example of this poor man who also happened to be wise, and in his wisdom, he delivered a city uh, who was under siege from um, the enemy. And he tells us that wisdom is better than might. And you know, I think if you were to just kind of do a poll of people in the world today, they, they might not agree with that. Um, I don't think anybody would say wisdom is a bad thing. But I think if you put the two against each other and say what's better, wisdom or might, the, the world would say probably might is the better thing to have because that gives you the ability to do whatever you want to do or to take what's yours in, in your estimation. Um, but Solomon tells us clearly uh, that wisdom is better than might. But in today's passage, as we get into the first 11 verses uh, of chapter 10, uh, we're going to hear a lot about foolishness and we're going to hear a lot about the fool and who the fool is and what the fool does. And so uh, let's just read the first four verses of chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. It says this, it says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And we'll pause there for just a moment. So up, up to this point in Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher or Solomon has told us some things already about the fool, and we're going to learn some more things today. But so far we've learned that the fool uh, is lazy in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, we've learned from chapter 7 that the fool is ill-tempered. We've learned from chapter 2 that the fool is morally blind. Uh, we've learned from chapter 9 that the fool refuses to take advice. And we also learn ultimately in chapter 5 that the life of the fool is not pleasing to God. Now what we're going to find out today is that when Solomon talks about who the fool, we're going to talk for a moment about what the fool does, then we'll talk about more about who the fool is. But Solomon's not talking about one's knowledge or the lack thereof when he talks about the fool. So I'll leave you with that thought and we'll, we'll come back to that here in a moment. Uh, but in this, uh, these four verses, he tells us a little bit more. He tells us, uh, starts off by saying that dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom. In other words, a little bit of foolishness can have a pretty big impact on things. Right? Think about, have you ever been in a restaurant and a fly you know, lands in your soup? Like you're done with it at that point, right? You don't, you don't want it anymore because of that stupid little fly. Um, Solomon is telling us that a little bit of foolishness can have a pretty big impact on things. And it doesn't take a lot of foolishness before uh, things can get wrecked. A wise man's heart, he says, inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And now what some of you just heard was conservatives good, liberals bad. <laughs> not what he's saying. Right? Solomon is not making a comment on the politics of today. Right? Some of you are going to put that on your refrigerator or make a bumper sticker out of it and use this to blast people who think differently than you. He's not saying that. In ancient times, the right it, it signified honor and it signified respect, and the left signified kind of dishonor and disrespect. 
And so he says a wise man inclines himself towards honorable things, towards respectable things. But the fool's heart inclines him towards dishonorable and disrespectful kinds of things. So again, not a political commentary, but he's speaking about the character of the fool whose heart is inclined towards things that the Bible would say that our hearts ought not be inclined towards. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he's a fool. In other words, when the fool gets it right, when the fool is doing what he's supposed to be doing, walking down the road, even minding his own business, there's a sense in which the foolishness of the fool uh, is kind of obvious. Right, kind of obvious. And again, we'll talk more in a minute about who the fool is and we'll see maybe why this is obvious. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. Our tendency as human beings is that we fight fire with fire, right? If you're mad at me, I'm going to be mad at you. And I'm going to try to be a little bit more angry at you than you are with me, maybe to shut you down. Right? That's just kind of how our brains work. It's how we think. It's, it's our inclination. But Solomon is telling us that wisdom, remember the context in this is foolishness and wisdom, that wisdom would dictate that even when the ruler rises against you, he says, don't leave your place. In other words, don't fly off the handle. Don't walk, don't walk off the job when the boss gets mad at you. Calmness, he says, will lay great offenses to rest. And so there's something about wisdom and in our hearts being inclined towards things that are respectable and things that are honorable, that when things that are disrespectable and dishonorable come towards us, that we still handle those things in an honorable and a respectable way. Right? We, we've all had those moments at work, either with a boss or a coworker or a supervisor of some sort, where they, they just know the buttons to push, right? They just know the buttons to push. I, I had a job uh, years ago, probably in, in my estimation, at least at the time, I don't think this way now, but at the time it was the most menial job I'd ever had in my life. And, and this job was kind of below me, right? And, and, and I worked in this company for a couple of years and God taught me a lot of lessons uh, working this job that was below me right, at the time. And, and one of the things that God taught me in that is that, that I had a supervisor come in uh, after I had been there for about a year. And so this new guy comes in and he was kind of encroaching on my territory, or at least I thought in my mind. And he made a couple of power plays just to show that he was the boss. And it really irked me because that's what I would do if I were him, right? Kind of establish your dominance right away, right? He, he did that to me and, and it just bugged me. And, and he gave me some shifts that I didn't like and asked me to do a couple of tasks that, that I just thought, you know, somebody else's job uh, it should have been to do those things. And, you know, I, I became disrespectful and dishonorable in that. And I got mad at him. I, I kind of fought fire with fire. It's like, you're going to ask me to do this? Well, I'm just going to do a really poor job at it. Um, and maybe you won't ask me again, right? And this, this, this it wasn't right of me. To, my heart was inclined towards the left uh, in that moment. And Solomon is reminding us that, that as we tap into the wisdom that we can only get from knowing who God is, that we don't have to be quick to anger. We don't have to fight fire with fire. We don't have to engage with the world in the way that worldly people engage with us. Even among Christians, like we're pretty good at fighting each other sometimes, right? We can, we can do that. And Solomon is telling us that we don't have to. Wisdom would dictate in difficult situations that calmness, or utilizing the wisdom that we have, has the ability to lay great offenses to rest. Now, I don't think he's saying that this is a formula that if you just remain calm, that you'll, this will work every time. I don't think he's saying that at all. 
Right? I think he's saying in general, right? When, when we react with, with calmness in difficult circumstances, that it has a positive effect. As we put all this together and we, we get a picture, uh, again, a continuing picture in Ecclesiastes of how the fool lives. But what is it really at the end of the day that constitutes a fool? A minute ago I mentioned that, that he's not talking about somebody's level of intelligence or the lack thereof. He's, talking about, he's not talking about the difference between somebody being smart or intelligent or somebody being stupid or unintelligent. Psalm 14 verses 1 to 3 says this, that the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so what we learn from the psalmist about the fool is that the fool doesn't acknowledge God. That that's ultimately what constitutes foolishness, and it has nothing to do with intelligence. I think it was A.W. Tozer that talks about in one of his books that, that we can't approach God solely on an intellectual level. We can't learn enough and get smart enough to come to a conclusion in our brains to say that there must be a God and I must submit to him. It's not an intellectual endeavor. That's not to say that, that, that we don't use our intellect, but it's not purely intellectual. But the Bible tells us that the God of this age in 1 Corinthians has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Right? And, and we, don't, we don't have the ability to, to cure blindness. That has to come from outside of us. And so it's only God who can open our eyes. It's only God who can help us to, to bridge the gap between the foolish and the wise. Right? And so, again, our intellects aren't checked out from this process, but it's not purely an intellectual endeavor. So the fool says in his heart there is no God. And then the psalmist goes on to say they, meaning humanity, humanity is corrupt. Humanity does abominable deeds. There is none in all of humanity who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humanity to see if there are any who understand and who seek after God. All of humanity, it says, has turned aside, and together all of humanity has become corrupt, and there is none among all of humans that do good, not even one. And so what we learn from this is that our default in life is that we are the fool. We start out life as the fool. Ephesians chapter 2 would take it a step further and say that we come into this world on a crash course with death, that we're born dead in our trespasses and in our sins, and it's purely an act of God's grace that something changes, right? And it's not because of anything that we would do so that we don't have the ability to boast about our coming to God. And so the fool ultimately is the person who doesn't acknowledge God and, and in your disacknowledgement, our disacknowledging God, that plays out in our lives in some of the ways that Solomon has presented to us so far. He goes on to say in verses 5 to 7, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So remember, our context here for this is talking about foolishness, right? talking about the lack of wisdom. And Solomon uses this phrase, under the sun, as he continues to use throughout Ecclesiastes. And so um, if you've been with us, you know that that phrase, under the sun, means life apart from God. Life on this earth without acknowledging God. And so there's an evil that he sees 
under the sun. There's an evil that he sees that plays itself out as people don't acknowledge God for who he is. And he says that it's an error proceeding from the ruler. Now, we're all, we all tend to be pretty good armchair quarterbacks. right? We, we sit at home and we watch the news or we scroll through the news on our device and we're pretty good at thinking about, you know, like we have the answers. Like we know what our leaders ought to do. Right? We can point out the things that they're doing wrong. We all have opinions on what would be the right thing to do, and we maybe have differing opinions on what some of those right things are, or even some of the wrong things. Right? Solomon says here that, that this error, it proceeds from the ruler. And what is the error? The error is that folly is said in many high places, and I don't think any of us would argue that point, right? Kind of no matter which way your political leaning is, we can all look at the system and say something's not right, something's not good, something's broken. It's not working the way that it ought to work, right? We all have thoughts about that. Well, it wasn't a lot different in Solomon's day. He acknowledges that folly is set in many high places. Then he goes on to say that he sees the rich sit in a low place. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, when it talks about the rich, it's talking about the rich in a negative way, like the rich, greedy people. But what Solomon is talking about here is not not that kind of rich person. He's talking about the person who has had some success in life and and isn't necessarily greedy, isn't necessarily uh, a bad employer or anything like that. He's talking about the people that we would all look at and acknowledge, maybe maybe that person should be in a leadership role in our political system. That's the rich person that he's talking about. Right? The, the 2016 election, we, there, there was an appeal, at least to some of the country, for a political outsider. There was an appeal for a businessman. There was an appeal for somebody who's had some success in this life. Right? And, and, and that's why the election went the way that it did. Solomon looks at this error that comes from leadership and says that folly is set in many high places, Part of that folly is that maybe the people that should be in leadership or representative roles are not. He says that the rich sit in a low place, but he also sees the slave on horses. In other words, that the system is backwards. The people that ought to be in elevated positions are not in elevated positions, and the people that shouldn't be elevated become elevated. And again, we can look at the systems of our day and see, okay, that plays out today. It wasn't a whole lot different back in Solomon's day. Horses in the ancient world were something for the privileged. And so the idea of somebody who was not privileged to be riding a horse was a crazy thing. Right? Things like that happen in our, in our world today. Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 32 says this. It says that they, meaning humanity, meaning the fools were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And so the Apostle Paul would take this idea of foolishness and take it even further to say, like, this is just a messed up system. Humanity, apart from God, humanity under the sun doesn't have any hope apart from God. Humanity left to their own vices, this is, this is what it describes us as. That of all the things that the Apostle Paul says, he says that we invent evil. Like there's no, you can't do any worse than that than to invent evil. 
right? All of these things are just a scathing indictment, but for them, him to throw in there that, that I can't even tell, give you a comprehensive list because humanity keeps inventing more and more evil things to do. That, that's an indictment. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness before light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so the writers of the Bible, things maybe were not a whole lot different in their day when they would look at the system of the world and say things are backwards. We can look at our system today and we can say there, there's a whole lot of evil happening in the world that the world is calling good. There's a lot of evil happening in the world that is being celebrated as freedom, that's being celebrated as liberty, that's being celebrated as rights. And we look at some of those things and say, that ought not to be. It's backwards that we would celebrate some of the things that we celebrate as a society today. And the indictment of the prophet Isaiah in his day that said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, that, that's an indictment on humanity today. This is an indictment on the fools. It's an, it's an indictment to those who would endeavor to live this life not submitting to God's rule and his authority, not even in, endeavoring to acknowledge his existence. And, and, and I, I should say that you know, faith in God is far more than just acknowledging his existence. Do you know who acknowledges the existence of God, the Bible says? The demons, right? They, they, they know that he exists. That they even know that, that he's ruler over all. Like they, they know. Right? Acknowledging the existence of God doesn't, doesn't do us anything. It's faith in Christ. Faith in his work that he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Faith that we need a redeemer. That we need something outside of ourselves to solve this problem of foolishness that exists as our default state as humans born into a sin-filled world. And so when we look at the world and we look at even the celebrating of things that we would say evil that the world is calling good, it's worth mentioning that, that if our response to those things is anger and our response to those things is offense, we're, we're missing something in our understanding of the gospel. If we get angry at sinners for sinning, like we've missed something because the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he gives us kind of similar indicting list of all these things that people used to be. And he says, and such were some of you. He reminds them that, that as you're about to get angry at sinners for sinning, remember you once were a sinner before you came to know Christ. Right? You, you were once one of those people. And so, yes, woe to those who call evil good and, and good evil, but as Christians, our, our response shouldn't be anger and offense at the sin of the world because, you know what, God saved a wretch like me. I once was blind and now I see, right? We know the song. When we look at those who are still blind and can't see, and those who are still in their wretchedness, we, we shouldn't be angry, we shouldn't be offended, we should be heartbroken over the sin of humanity. Heartbroken that, that fools exist, that people exist in this world who don't acknowledge God for who he is and what he's done for them. Solomon goes on to say in verses 8 to 11, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. 
If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Again, remember, our context here is foolishness. And so he talks about what seems to be just kind of guys going about their work. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Remember in chapter 3, if you were here for that, Solomon tells us that the best hope that we can have in this life, apart from God, the best hope that we can have in life under the sun, is that maybe, maybe you can find a job that you like. And maybe you can enjoy that job for your, you know, work hard at it and enjoy that job for the days that you have it. That's the best hope that we have, Solomon says, in life under the sun. Well, now in chapter 10, he's saying, okay, so you find a job where you dig pits and you like that job. Well, you know what? You might fall into a pit. And the idea is that like, you might die from falling into this pit. Right? This job that, that you have happened to find that you like, which not all of us find jobs that we like, but this job that you found, like maybe it's not going to go so well. Maybe you have a job in, in construction and, and demolition and you break through a wall and then you get bit by a snake. Again, the implication is that you might die from this job that's supposed to bring you joy. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. In other words, like our jobs, as much joy as they, they might bring us, they might not always go so well. And they might cause things to happen in our life that, that alter our lives. And so when you start to think about this and put it all together, Solomon is just drilling down on there's just not a lot of hope in this life apart from knowing God. There's not a lot of hope in this life to continue on not acknowledging God for who he is and for what he's done for you. In Romans chapter 1, before these verses I read, it actually tells us that we don't have, even have an excuse for not acknowledging who God is. But the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 to like step outside and look around. You know, to, to Larry's point earlier, just the beauty of creation all around us. I think we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world here in Central Oregon. You can't go anywhere hardly in Central Oregon where you can't see the beauty of, of the snow-covered mountains, right? And the Apostle Paul tells us, like, there, there's your sign that God is real. There's your sign that God put all this together, right? Go outside at night in the clear skies and just look up and see all of the stars. You have no excuse, fool, for not believing that God exists and for not submitting to his rule and his authority in your life. There's no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. And so we don't have a whole lot of hope in this life under the sun, this life apart from God, even if we find a job that we like, even if it brings us joy, even if it provides for all of our needs, there's always this possibility that something may happen and it might not go so well. And it might bring calamity into our lives. When I was a kid, my, the neighbor that lived across the street from us worked, he was a co-worker of my dad's, and they worked on the railroad together. And one day we saw police cars. I, I wasn't very old. I don't remember many details. I was maybe six or seven. I don't know. Uh, but but I kind of remembered a little bit that uh, to find out that, that he got hurt in an accident at work involving a crane and he was killed. And he had two boys that were a little bit older than me. They were old enough where I kind of looked up to them as the big kids in the neighborhood. And they were devastated at the loss of their dad. 
and our neighborhood was devastated. You know, this was, you know, back in the day when, like, you know, neighbors were actually neighborly, and we had, you know, neighborhood barbecues and, and things like that. Like, neighbors were close, right? We knew each other. And so our neighborhood was, was devastated at, at the untimely death of, of this guy. Just He went to work that day to do a job that I think he enjoyed, and he didn't come home that day. These are the kinds of things that Solomon is talking about. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, the Apostle Paul says that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so we get this reminder here that, that part of our inclination of our hearts towards the right, towards what's honorable and towards what's respectable, is that even if you have a job that you don't like, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here on work because it's not the main point that Solomon is talking about, but, but even if you have a job that you don't like, that you show up every day understanding that you work for the Lord before you work for a person. And it doesn't matter what name is at the top of your paycheck. It's God who provides for your needs. It's God who makes sure that, that you have your needs covered and taken care of. And so um, whether we like our jobs or not, we ought to show up and give a good, honest effort as our hearts are inclined towards wisdom and towards honor and towards respect that we would honor the Lord, even if we, even if we have a dishonorable boss, right? That we would honor the Lord. And if we believe this to be true, that it tells us that our vocations have meaning and our vocations are affected by the inclination of our hearts towards the right or towards the left. So we've learned how the fool lives. We've learned what makes a fool. And we've learned that, that whether, whether you have wisdom or folly, there can just be things in this life that, that happen that are beyond our control that don't give us a whole lot of hope apart from knowing God. So, so we, have, we have hope in knowing God that even if calamity happens through the course of our work from day to day, we, we have hope that, that as we honor the Lord, as we submit to the Lord, as we submit our lives to Him and put our faith in Him and our hope and our trust in Him, even if something like an untimely death might happen, that God is sovereign over it. And it doesn't catch Him by surprise. Since we've talked a lot about the fool, let's, let's talk for a moment about how to overcome or, or to not be the fool. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so again, as we kind of take all of this and put it together, Solomon's showing us it's, it's the person who is the fool who, who doesn't live a life acknowledging God and submitting to him. But the other side of that is that the wise person is not the one who was smart enough to figure out God. The, the wise person is not the one who has read enough or studied enough. The wise person is not the one who was just born with a natural intelligence that's helped them to put the pieces of the puzzle together. The wise one is the one who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, Outside of the fear of the Lord, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what real wisdom is. And again, this has nothing to do with one's level of intelligence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Recently, I was uh, 
had a chance to take a vacation back to New England, and we spent five days in Boston. And Boston, I didn't know this, but Boston is one of the most educated cities in the United States. Right? Harvard and MIT are there. Some of the, some of the greatest minds um, throughout history have come from Harvard and from MIT. In fact, I learned on a tour, uh, a little tidbit, that, that somebody did a study of ju- just of Harvard, and they said that if you take all of the people that have come out of Harvard and all of the things that they've done in their careers, all of the successes that they've had, the inventions that have come, the, the thought leaders that have come out of that, and you were able to, to make that into an economy, it would be the ninth largest economy in the world. Everything has come out of Harvard. right? Some, some of the most educated people in our time and even before our time have come from Harvard, but the Bible would say that apart from the fear of the Lord, those people aren't, they're still, they're still fools. As educated as they might be, smart as they might be, as successful as they might be in this life, the Bible would tell us that those people are still fools. And the Bible would say the same thing to you and me, regardless of our level of education. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that much of an educated guy myself. I don't have any degrees or letters behind my name. But the Bible tells us that apart from knowing God, apart from the fear of the Lord, that we haven't even begun to be wise. And what does the Bible mean when it talks about the fear of the Lord? We, we don't talk about this a lot because it's kind of a hard thing to explain. But, but I think there's, there's kind of a level of like legitimate fear that we ought to have for the one who holds the universe together. Right? We should be a little bit afraid of that. We should be a little bit afraid of the one who spoke creation into existence just simply by saying, let it be. Right? We should be a little bit afraid of the one who walked out of the grave and conquered death. We should be a little bit afraid of that. We should have respect for that. We should have honor for that. We should ultimately submit to that and put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ who conquered death and who conquered sin. And when we do that, what we're told is like we've begun to scratch the surface of, of wisdom at that point. And this isn't saying that like you can't navigate life without knowing God. Plenty of people navigate life without knowing God. Plenty of people have success in this life without knowing God. But what Solomon would say in the end is that it's all vanity. None of it matters. The only thing, this is a spoiler for the end of the book where he just says, fear God and obey his commandments. That's just like everything. That's all that matters is that we would fear God and that we would do what he says, that we would live the way that he calls us to live. Because anything else is a fool's errand, Solomon might say. And so my encouragement today, if you're here and you haven't acknowledged God, if you have not submitted to God's authority and his rule in your life, like don't stop living the life of the fool. Stop living the life of vanity. Stop living the life that when the here and now is gone, that it's over. We're created to be eternal beings, and the Bible tells us that, that we all will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And it's the fools that will spend eternity in hell, those who live a life without ever acknowledging who God is and what he's done. And if you're here today and and you know the Lord, and you have acknowledged the Lord, and you've bridged the gap between folly and wisdom, that you would continue to live your life trusting Him more and more that His ways are better than yours. He's smarter than you. He knows more than you. He's stronger than you. He's more powerful than you. God's everywhere all of the time and sees everything and knows everything and hears everything. Like, we don't, we don't know that. We're not like that. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so be encouraged today, brothers and sisters, that that if you're living the life of a fool, all you have to do is, is come to God and submit to His authority. He's opening your eyes right now. He's opening the eyes of the blind and saying, come. And for those of you who are living the life of wisdom and the fear of the Lord, that there are people in your life that are still living the life of the fool. And God has given us, as Christians, the opportunity to witness to those around us. 2 Corinthians 5, that those who have been reconciled to God have now been given the ministry of helping others become reconciled to God. Right? And so let us consider today our own wisdom and our own folly and let us consider today that the folly of those that we know that, that have yet to acknowledge who God is, to acknowledge what Christ has done for them. And let us pray for those people. Let us go to those people and talk to them and encourage them and point them to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful that, that you love us in spite of our own folly. We're grateful that you love us in spite of the fact that, that we don't naturally have a heart that's inclined towards you. We're grateful that you um, fix our blindness, something that we can't do ourselves. God, we're thankful that you, that you save us. We're thankful that you contend with us, that you put up with us. Even in our vacillating between uh, faith and, and lack of faith, just in our daily lives. So God, help us today to understand uh, either the folly of our current life or the folly of of a former life and that we would um, just be thankful for your grace that you make a way for us to come to know you, that you make a way for us to be sanctified, that you make a way for us to continue uh, being made righteousness, that you continue to make a way for us to be conformed to Christ. And help us to be People who go into the world shining the light of the gospel, contending with fools just as you contend with us. Putting up with people who are not like us because you put up with us. Being gracious to people because you're gracious to us. And we thank you for these things and thank you that we can even ask them and we ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.